Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's exactly what we do. Danny, thank you for uh, articulating it so precisely. Yeah, and Tim, you know, I have a quick update for you. I think I On have... which topic, may I guess? Yes, you may I guess. I don't care to guess. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on the city's premier breakfast sandwiches, I okay. think I have... You know, there have been some new contenders in this arena. Sure. And I feel like I've nailed my top three. Mm, may I guess? Yeah, you can try to guess. Okay. I think you'll know. Yeah, well. We do talk about a lot of insignificant things. We do. This is that. I wouldn't say that's insignificant. <laughs> we do talk as, about a lot of insignificant It's not bullshit, as insignificant not as some of the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. There's um, worse that we talk about. Yeah, no. I, all right, Kasama's definitely up there. Yep. Loaf Lounge is also up there. Yep. But Loaf Lounge has two breakfast sandwiches. And they yeah. do like specials too. Well, yeah, I do the so one with sausage. Right. I was going to say, you're the sausage guy. I, I like the vegetarian one. I like them both, really. Yeah, they're both really They're good. both very sloppy. You're yeah. going to make a mess when you I eat also, it, but it's worth the mess. Going back to the Kasama one, I do it with longanisa, and I don't do the hash brown on it. Know, but you do the hash it. brown on the side. Eh. Really? I mean, I like it. Wow. I, so the arrogant. sandwich itself, you know. <laughs> okay. I just do it how it, how you it originally was. I don't do calories. like the secret menu. I have the hash brown on. It's yeah. not secret anymore, it's not, I guess. It's on the menu. But for a minute, it was. Right. Now, the third one. You know, I'm going to tell you a sleeper one that I know you haven't tried, but hmm. it's up there for me. I don't know if it's top three, but um, Goddess and Grocer in the West Loop has a oh. like uh, pesto, tomato, mozzarella breakfast sandwich on a hmm. croissant, and it's really good. It's funny because it sounded like you were not naming a breakfast sandwich at all, and then yeah. you said on a croissant, and I was like, I guess. I think there's egg on there, too. I don't know why yeah, that's that a good question. just came to me. Hmm. Um, now, your third one, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the third one is uh, is Spinning J. Yeah? Yeah. I like the Poblano one. I've never had it. I, I think we talked about it in yeah. Dinah's episode. So man, good. I need to get over there and have that. Yeah, it's really good. I'm a pie guy when I go there. Well, someone who has nothing to do with breakfast sandwiches. That's a, one of the best transitions is this ever week's guest. <laughs> uh, this week's guest, Brad Bolt, uh, was a pioneer in the city's cocktail movement, part of the opening team at the Violet Hour. He went on to open DeVille and do lots of other things as well. Um, he is now doing brand ambassador work for Me Tijenta Tequila. Um, we had him on to kind of tell his story and... Yeah, it was, it was interesting to get his perspective on that kind of mic drop moment where Violet Hour was like, this is what the cocktail scene in Chicago is going to be. Right. He was there from the start, and then he kind of flipped it on its head with DeVille. Yeah, took it to the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Please enjoy our conversation with Brad Bolt. So what's up, man? Uh, nothing. Just walked over. Yeah. Uh, been a little rainy. Yeah. Tried to avoid the rain, thinking it maybe was going to pass, but... We got Brad nice and soaked on his way in here. Yes. Yeah. Got to beat him down to build him up. Yeah. So, Brad, where are you from? <laughs> I am from the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Um, I was born in Hinsdale. Um, grew up in Darien till I was 13, and then my family moved to Naperville. Okay. Um, Went to IU for a year, 
uh, yeah business focus i hated bloomington um i can see why a lot of people like it it just wasn't for me yeah um one year and done yeah i came back um went to college to do page for photography um, oh, i didn't know that yeah so i got an associates there transferred into uic but it was while i was at cod that uh i started working for, for francesca's restaurants oh yeah okay so um, that's, so that's where all that one off or with terry at least yeah yeah okay totally um so i was there at the naperville location then went to help out at Bryn Mawr, uh then opened up forno what were you doing at all these places uh ultimately bartending okay um, it was at forno that they had me serving um a few months later terry opened up del toro um and i was bartending i think serving a little bit there um and then terry called me in for a meeting and said you don't work at forno for me anymore <laughs> <laughs> is how i remember the conversation going it was very matter of fact um you don't work there anymore um you're gonna come work at del toro full-time and bartend and manage the bar how was the bar program at del toro uh very club focused okay were there fresh juices and things at that time no in, okay. the, in the kitchen okay um that's where the freshness <laughs> stopped um, i mean when it hit the table sure the bar counter but yeah um yeah no not at all okay um when we opened terry had a partner um that was actually partners with matt eisler okay um, at elm street either way um i think it was you know terry had been in the neighborhood a long time um chris was pretty young i think he was like 27 at the time yeah and chris had like his hands in a few clubs and was this harvard grad and hmm. uh, this was the unmentioned business partner of matt from his episode where he's like <laughs> i won't mention who the partner was right? oh but like invested yeah a small amount or something and yeah, kind yeah. of turn the messaging turned into this was his spot elm street liquors at least yeah okay um, so were, did you know that the del toro build out was happening while you were at forno's because it's right, like, right across the street. I think I, when we opened Del Toro, I was a server. Okay. And so I was serving at both, and that's when Terry was like, you bartend here now, because that's okay. what my, I had been doing at uh, Francesca's prior. So he liked you as a bartender? I guess. He just knew I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like, I, needed a bartender? Yeah, <laughs> I was just, I think I had expressed, baby. I was like, I don't want to serve. Yeah. I don't like waiting. I mean, it's so fine. When, it was fun, but from when you first like walked behind a bar as a bartender, were you like, this is, this is what I want to be doing? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that first restaurant gig. Yeah. Um, I found myself working with Jason Turley. Yeah. Um, Maddie Eggleston worked there. Wow. Yeah. And so I would like, when I started, I was 19 years old Yeah. and I was a bus boy, food runner. Um, that's all I did, you know, and here I was looking up to these dudes that were, I mean, sh can I curse? Yeah, yeah, of like, course. shit is okay. Yeah, right? yeah, anything. I was going to say, like, shit, I think. Yeah, piss, caca. They're, yeah, like, Danny five years old than me, so, you know, yeah. like, Jason Turley and Maddie Eggleston at 24, man, yeah. in their prime, being cool, you yeah. know, they were everything to me, and uh, we had a, just a great staff, um, 
and everyone behind the bar just like crushed it. The bar was packed. This is at Del Toro. This is at Francesca's oh, Naperville. Oh, Francesca's Naperville. Dude, yeah, that place was a cash cow. <laughs> um, it was crazy. You think like downtown Naperville is booming now, um, but there's just so much down there, and it's just it's a different level. Yeah. Versus, I mean, this would have been. Quick math, 22 years ago, 2001. Wow. Yeah. And 2002, 2003, those, those early 2000s, there was like a scene at that particular restaurant. Huh. Like the bar would be three deep. Dang. Like asses against the dining table. Um, very city. Yeah. Um, but now there's just so many restaurants. When but... you came into the city to continue working for the same group, were you bummed to be leaving? Like how busy that was, or the stuff in the no, city was just. As I was busy. excited. I actually got fired, uh, <laughs> but from still Francesca's worked from the, in the same company. Yeah, from the one in Naperville. What I happened? Mean, that's a whole story that yeah, let's hear I it. could probably talk about. <laughs> yeah, statute of limitations. Yeah, it's yeah. Been long enough. Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so I was bartending one night, and there was a whole lot of people on staff uh, in the basement doing coke with the manager. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. Right. <laughs> well, and also, like, you know, it was the part of the basement that's the office that's locked. Yeah. Where, you know, only management has keys. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't really know where the cameras were in this place or how they... So did everyone get fired altogether? Everyone got fired. Wow. Um, front of the house on the first floor of the restaurant. Whoa. And while I can't say it was because of all the cocaine that I knew was being consumed <laughs> that night, I'd imagine that because the two servers on the second floor didn't get fired. Yeah. And uh, they had not partaken. Yeah. Sure. I mean, one of them didn't. <laughs> um, one of them didn't get caught. Yeah. I'm, yeah. But I mean, you know, it's an at-will state. Yeah, whatever. But you continued to be like in their good graces working. I loved the company. Yeah. yeah. So and then just... like I knew it was a mistake. Yeah. Right? So did, did the restaurant have to shut down for that t period to retrain and? No, I mean that place was just, just like new people. There yeah, were like, so many people. It was like we didn't matter. Yeah. Okay. You know, and I I don't say that like we didn't. It was just it was it, the company grew from eight to sixteen restaurants in my yeah. time there. Yeah. There was a lot of just, you know, shit they couldn't legally tolerate anymore. Yeah, like shift sure. drinks disappeared and they started cracking down on different things. And like, I totally got it. Yeah. But here I was at like 22 or something, 21. I was pissed. I'm like, but I didn't, I didn't do the thing. <laughs> I was so, so mad. And that job was everything to me. I loved it. So, so how, how soon after that were you back under that umbrella? And was that the, the next gig within that no, company? No, I've worked within the company, yeah. I mean, yeah. I did like a couple restaurant things, serving kind of mm -hmm. in the middle. But yeah. like ultimately, it was probably within six to eight months that I had that conversation and just said like, look, we, we know what did and didn't happen. Yeah. Right? Sort of like, I can forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It, it can... <laughs> Can can you help me? I'm and I just said like, look, I'm trying to move to Chicago. I'm I, I, I have an apartment. It's Division in Wood, and I know you guys are opening at North and Damon. Like you know, I'll be a, a valuable asset. Yeah. To that restaurant, can you please help me? And she talked, went back to corporate. It's crazy. And kind it's of like pleaded corporate. her case. Yeah. Um, f you know, for me again. 
months after the fact, and they're like, well, yeah, we'll give him another chance. Um, but right now, Bryn Mawr is short a bartender. Can he make the drive from Naperville to Bryn Mawr until he moves? Yeah. I was like, shit, that <laughs> sucks, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, I'm no, like, I get a gas stipend. <laughs> um, but the opportunity afforded me was that the general manager, John Baduvis, was going to be the GM at Forno. And so I got like three months to kind of get to know my future mm, GM. Yeah, and that's cool. Start to establish a working relationship with him. Yeah. And it was awesome. So went to do Forno, and I mean, it was shit. Three months after that, Terry was like, yep, no more. Come over here. <laughs> and then how long after that does the Violet Hour come to be? So this, I think yeah. we opened Del Toro in fall of 05. Okay. So you're there for the full run. Mm-hmm. And then when they're like, all right, we're going to finish. We're going to do this thing called the Violet Hour. Do they even have a name for it at that time? No. So I went to New York in January 2007 on my own with Maddie Eggleston Whoa. and Sean Cranick. Huh. Um, well, Sean lived there. So Maddie and I traveled together, um, stayed at a friend of mine's apartment. And it was on that visit that, like, Terry was like, yo, you need to go to Milk and Honey. Huh. Mm. Here's the number. Call it. When, and I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, this sounds cool, but Terry really wants me to go. And Terry really wants me to go to Freeman's, too, because Toby worked there. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I went and called this number and i remember standing outside like smoking a cigarette um from my friend's balcony like this is so stupid but called the number and it's like for a reservation text this number what the hell is going on i first got a call now i have to text this and so i did and they're like all right we can take you at 10 o'clock tomorrow night i guess or whatever yeah and maddie and i showed up i think at like 9 30 to be early for our reservation and just kind of see <laughs> yeah, what's going what's on. going on. And we're not open. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's 10 to four. That's crazy. Um, so I remember we just kind of walked around Chinatown, looked at fruits and vegetables and got a really sweet creamed coffee. <laughs> um, went in and just had, I mean, I had my mind blown. Um, I don't particularly remember what I drank. Um, I had some sort of Manhattan yeah. for my first cocktail. Was Maddie's mind as blown as yours? Um, I think he'd been seeing some really cool things on the West Coast Okay. Mm. at the time, too, just in a very different way because they're that always more doing like their... farm to, you know, yeah. a little farm market um, fresh. Yeah, and Sasha's influence hadn't hit kind of over there yet. But, like, Eric from Varnish was doing cool stuff. I mean, Pablo, there was, like, a a buzz out there too so yeah i think our experience shared experience was like holy shit this was just crazy did you think that it would work in chicago after you saw it no (laughs) not not like that yeah and you were right right it didn't catch on right away no and i mean that place was what 24 seats or something i don't know the exact number but yeah. So don't quote me, Milk and cocktail honey. nerds. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, I've been there once. No, it was twenty one. Tiny. Yeah, yeah, but like we did sit at the bar like for that first experience. So we were one of like four bar seats. Was Sasha bartending? No, I don't remember who was. Like yeah. we got so drunk that night too. Um, later, <laughs> sure. you know, but it was like holy crap, this is awesome. Yeah, you can tell because your memories of before are very crystal clear, and then your memories should have been nine thirty left. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> once I got in there, no clue. It was like the the first drink was in fact 
you know, very boozy stirred uh, bourbon cocktail. Yeah. Uh, or rye. Yeah. Uh, and then the next one was long in a Collins glass with a metal straw. And I remember because I have the tendency to bite all of my straws. And yeah. it was my first encounter with a stainless straw. And you're like, oh, I can't do Thinking it's like this. black plastic in the dark. I chomped on it and rattled. <laughs> just absolutely rattled my skull. Um, and so, yeah. Oh, man. So is this your first experience seeing like a serious cocktail bar? Yeah. And that was the beginning of everything or that just opened a gateway in your mind where it's like, okay, I see what's possible here. hundred percent. Yeah. And did Terry send you because he knew that you would be working at the violet hour? No, he hadn't announced it. So he just sent you because he thought you should find out about it as a bartender. Yeah. Um, mm. we had nothing like it in Chicago. So he yeah, had yeah, his right. like short list of like, if you're going to New York, yeah, you know, and of course, dude, I mean, I, I still to this day look up to that man. Yeah. Right. If, if Terry texted me today and was like, yo, Brad, check out this record. It's cool. I'd be like, all right, yeah, I'm going I'm <laughs> to check that record out. Right. There's very few people in my life that, yeah, I, I respect on so many levels that y you could say, check anything out. And I'd yeah. Be like, yeah. All right. Well, something that, yeah, that I want to get to as well is like you start off, you're on the opening team at the Violet Hour, right? Yeah. So I guess walk us through that experience, how that team came to be. And then obviously later on when with you at the helmet DeVille, you kind of do the same thing to your own team. So it's kind of like an interesting parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. They just kind of scraped us together. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's actually an article about it. I think it was Robert Simonson. Hmm. Like, oh, like, I think it's called book. like how a motley crew of bartenders uh, might be like the title or the, the yeah you know, something like that the the very beginning but how a motley crew of bartenders transformed Chicago's floating drink scene <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with an opening team of mostly amateur bartenders the valid hour defied odds to reshape Chicago's drinking scene Robert Simonson on the bar's unlikely beginnings and its enduring legacy yeah. this was in 2017 yeah so like I mean dude's a great great writer. Um, super nice human too if you ever have the pleasure to meet him yeah but yeah i mean that take the time to read that um on your own separately but yeah. i mean that's that sums it up pretty accurately like we were just you know i worked behind the bar um but are you like skeptical are you excited is it a combination of both oh from i i was excited i think everyone that was ultimately brought on was excited too because you had like different people that had different like it wasn't culinary a, a interests that, yeah, it wasn't a hard sell at all. Um, pun intended. Yeah. What do you think right. contributed to the success? Like if, if you, if it wasn't an all-star team where it's like this place can't fail, what was the um, common theme? Was, was everybody eager to learn? Did everyone have the same passion about the industry? Was it hospitality first? What do you think it was that made that so special? I think that everyone that, get, that got hired um, they knew they could teach how to pick up a jigger and pour and shake. But um, I think it was largely based on your willingness to learn. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Andrew Zimmerman uh, at Del Toro, like we had quizzes all the time. Yeah, like in getting, shift. Yeah. And like you had to score. Like what kind of stuff? Like things on the menu? Ev 
every ingredient in every dish oh, man. on the okay. menu. How was it prepared? I mean, you had to know, like, this This was super... Yeah, like, what's a roux? What's romesco? And more than just, like, typical bartenders would have to do. So, for me, it was like, I didn't want to know all that much about all that food, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was super delicious. But, I don't know, it was the person that wasn't preparing it. Some of it was too much. But from the drink side, like, I just wanted to learn it all. And I loved being behind the bar and taking care of people. I, as much as I didn't love serving, I loved the, the hospitality side of it, most certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it like a competitive atmosphere? Like each person trying to like impress Toby with their own creations or like their own mastery of the craft? No, I think that was pretty frowned upon. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have even thought to really... Maybe I did. I was probably dumb enough, you know, that (laughs) I think we all maybe did like one, but I think it all stopped there. I don't remember it being competitive. It was just so much fun. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin. Complete your bar. Yeah, so when you're at Violet Hour, what are the drinks that you're interested in? Or, like, are you starting to kind of form, like, the drinks that influence your own bartending style? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because I, I was there, I, th- I believe I gave my notice at the end of November oh, of you were just, 07. I was oh, there, I did, there I was there for, like, five months. Whoa. Like, it was quick. How come? So we were trying to open Part of Hill. And oh, okay. Hitting. January, I think, of 2008. Okay. So there's a good reason. Oh, foolishly, you know. We're opening this bar in two months, and I was like, cool, I'll just chill with the family over the holidays. Yeah. It'll Mm -hmm. be fine. But how did your relationship with, like, Heisler come to, or Matt and Kevin, where did that begin? At Empire. Oh, I guess, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty... And they were just like, we like you, we want you to do a concept with us. I how did it happen? I'll tell you exactly how it happened. So <laughs> I knocked on Terry's door. Yeah. And I said, Hey Terry, I'm looking at this bar with Jason Turley. Can't remember the damn name of it. It was on Ashland near Chicago. It's gone now. Looking at this bar, uh six hundred grand. Here's the location. What do you think um of it? Just what do you make of this listing? Yeah. Um and Terry's like, Well, you know, this is kind of what we do at Danny's. Uh, it's a neighborhood bar at the time. He's like, you know, like 15 grand a week would be like a solid week. Yeah. And like, you could probably make it work. Okay. Knocked on Matt's door at empire at the office there. And it was just like, got five minutes, exact same thing. And it was just like, Hey, looking at this bar, what do you think? And it just piqued his interest. He goes, wait, you, okay. So you want to be an owner operator? I was like, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was good. I mean, cool that you were ambitious, like, so early on. Yeah. yeah You're still I pretty mean, young at this point, right? How Early oh, 20s? Tw- 25, 25, 24. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was 25 at the time. I mean, I, you know, whatever. You, you don't give a shit. You're, yeah. That's like when, how old were you when you started 
Scofflaw, 25. 25? Yeah. yeah. And so I just got very different responses. Yeah. You know, um, for whatever reason, you know, I think Matt just had things like he wanted to grow. Yeah. And uh, so he's like, we should just talk in the future. Yeah. And he kind of came back and was like, I get a text. Hey, can you come meet at the office? Sure. Um, he's like, yes, we've got this thing in Pilsen. Um, it's like a restaurant. Um, so like, I don't know, maybe yeah. like that could be a thing. Um, but then also like Kevin and I found this building, uh, in, in Ukrainian village. It's not the one you were looking at. <laughs> like, okay. I'm not like offended, but like, whatever. <laughs> um, it's not the one you were looking at, but it's like down the street. So like pretty cool. It's actually bigger. Um, do you want to go check it out? I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. And so like went and checked it out. I'm like, this place is a dump, you know, and that's why we were going to open. And that's why I gave my notice so prematurely at Violet Hour, you know, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't just for the money. Yeah. That's, I did the um, same thing at the Whistler. Yeah. But I was, well, we also had no idea what it would take when the deal would go through. No one tells you that. Yeah. Not when you're 25. Yeah. Right. You haven't seen or opened enough to, to know <laughs> yeah, like yeah, oh, zero places. They say this. Lay out lay out the timeline for people who don't know. Like how long and I it, I know it changes over time and build outs are tough and timelines are never hit, but generally what do you think the a proper timeline is to open a bar from signing a lease on a place to opening the doors for friends and family or whatever? It depends like what yeah. I mean, what was in the Deville <laughs> space before? Was there a bar? Yeah, it was called La Manzanilla. Okay, mm. so there was a bar similar to us. I mean, there was a bar street side. <clears throat> and then we had to, you know, turn it into Scofflaw. We had to change the interior, do some work. So, yeah, I mean, we were doing all the work ourselves, though. And, like, you know, Andy was quarterbacking all of the construction and the build-out. And we were just, like, his helpers, essentially, you know, doing whatever he, you know, told us we needed to do. Um, they also had a better idea of it. Andy, Mandy, and Chris, like, they had gone through openings before. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really just, like, along for the ride um, under their guidance. And it took us, like, in earnest, once we started to do stuff, we were closed for, like, a little bit over a month. Because our initial plan was, like, buy street side, run street side, see what needs to be done. And we only ran street side for like a minute because it did so poorly that we basically were forced to close down. We closed down like in January and we were open officially on March 12th. Oh, that's so, quick. So we just worked a lot in the, in the winter cause there's like nothing to do obviously. And we had a lot riding on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. What's the DeVille timeline? DeVille was like a year. Okay. I mean, if you look at it, we, we opened in uh, November of 08. Okay. I put my notice in in November of 07. Yeah. So what are, gonna... wow. are you bartending at Empire to make money throughout this time? Yeah. Okay. And then picking up door shifts when I could. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I go work the door, make 50 bucks cash. And even if I spend it at the bar that night, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm still good. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not negative 50. Are you, you helping know? Kevin with like build out stuff? Like, not, not really. He's just like doing it at his pace. Yeah. For that period would, of time. Yeah. I would stop by. Um, I was, you know, at least made aware of everything that was kind of going on. Yeah. And um, with, with regard to the interior and then that in turn led to the drinks being elevated. Yeah. So as well. So, cause when we open or the plan to open in that January of 08, um, it was like, leave the duct tape on the walls. Like it's going to be a 
dive bar, <laughs> right? And I was kind of like, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, even if I was able to keep, like, a shift at Empire or two and just, like, go make club money. Yeah. And so, then just kind of, like, manage this bar and hang out. Uh, not hang out. You know what I mean? But, yeah. like, have a, a definitely more chill environment. Yeah. So um, what was the concept? Like, an unstuffy... Because like, Violet Hour at the time had, like, a list of rules, a, you know, a loose dress code. Was the idea that, like, hey, we're going to have craft cocktails, but it's going to be divey? That's what it became, ultimately. Yeah. You know, when I quit the Violet Hour... In no way, shape, or form were we going to do anything to compete with that. Even on the, the cocktail the word, side? The word cocktail in my mind did not yet exist at that bar location. Okay. Right? I got you. Did I got you, you so, open yeah, yeah. with cocktails? We did, ultimately. But, like, so if you look at our timeline, yeah. to the, the target, January of 08. Yeah. And it was November 08 by the time we opened. So yeah. in those few short months of it, not being duct tape on the walls, a piece of shit, <laughs> right? That you cleaned for the health department, really. Yeah. Um, it went from not being that anymore to Kevin really made a beautiful, cool, yeah, hip space. neighborhood bar. You know, it was, look at sportsmen's today. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just taking that old thing making it beautiful again and adding your personal design touch to it. And uh, Heisler hadn't been a thing. Heisler had never done that. Heisler didn't exist. Um, oh, yeah. Was DeVille the first concept with Kevin and Matt together? Yeah, formally as Heisler. Yeah. Because um, they worked together on, on Empire. Right, but Kevin um, wasn't partner till this one, right? Yeah, I think that was the first yeah, that like that's he, cool. they so, partnered together on. Yeah, I haven't been in the space since it changed hands, but it was like my memory of it was: you walk in, you've got the bar, you've got booths in the first room. Then there's like a middle room with a pool table, yeah. and then the back room, which was more like a dance party room, almost like almost like a Danny situation with a yeah. back bar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so you end up opening with cocktails. Do you? But you have this staff that. Well, some of them, it seems like, have worked with cocktails, given the stories now, but... They had not. Well, Maddie Was Maddie not on opening Maddie team? was not on opening team. Okay. All right. Yeah, so the had, opening team would... had not ever worked with cocktails like this. No. And it was like, Jason had trained me to be a bartender. So it was you like know, awkward when you're like, uh, so we're going to make drinks yeah. this way. Well, that was the whole conversation before, you know, they got hired. I mean, I, I went to... I mean, fuck, I was 26. Yeah. I'd never, the closest I had come to managing a bar was uh, ordering inventory uh, at Del Toro. Yeah. And I got weekly approval by Terry. Yeah. Like, he let me put it together. But it was great to, like, yeah. have that oversight and kind of learn to, like, sort of manage a little bit of inventory. Um, but he, like, kind of checked it off every week. Um, and then I received there, yeah. which largely amounted to me picking up like different cans of paint and okay the red room needs to be touched up this <laughs> week you know in in that part of the dining room and, yeah all right the lounge in the front today that's going to be the focus with paint um, yeah it was like those kinds of projects which is also great to like yeah be forced to do 
for you sure. Know, and understand that like someone does those things at the restaurant because I <laughs> yeah. didn't realize yeah. it at the time, mm-hmm. right? You show yeah. up for your serving shift and the, the walls just always look nice. <laughs> Crazy, like Becky kicked the shit out of it last night. I can't believe <laughs> like... How is it recovering? It looks great today. <laughs> but to Tim's question, I guess, from before, like, I mean, you referenced you didn't want to be in competition with Violet Hour, but like what... Once you'd opened, like, what was the ethos of Bardaville? Like, what did you want it to be? Yeah, I wanted it to be the opposite. Um, I wanted, I hated the pretentiousness of it um, at the time. Yeah. And again, I think it all comes back to, like, having fun and being young and just, mm-hmm. I don't know, what I was into. Um, I wanted to be around people. It was just more fun. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to have a more social experience. Um that's what I loved about bars and restaurants in the first place. Um, yeah, that makes you know, sense. Violet Hour is not a social place. You go with your party, and then you and talk that's to who them. you're talking yeah. to. You're in like your own kind of world there. Yeah, and Ville, you're you're working the room. You're talking to people. You're going to both bars. You're dancing. You're shooting pool. Yeah, it's it's a, like a par- house party. Yeah, or I mean, literally any other bar. <laughs> Scott Law, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Scott right. Law, yeah. like talking about example, like it's a novel right? concept. <laughs> yeah. Literally every other bar in Chicago, yeah. except for my, yeah, it was like a house party. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, you can yeah. get up and socialize, and, like you're meeting yeah. new people. It was and... a special place. I mean, I met. I mean, I didn't meet my wife initially there, but like there was a dancers' retirement party at Deville one night, and I remember me and Pete Gugney were at the bar. It was like closed to the public, but Pete and I were there hanging with you. And Ellie happened to show up for this dancer's retirement party. And it was like just one of those chance encounters uh, that, that played a role in us uh, being together, ending up together. It's wow. a pretty special place. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful Bar DeVille story for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we always had the best time. I mean, you had an amazing crew, of course. Um, and yeah, like you were there. And I think that kept it, you know, that's very important. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with Matt involved too, I mean, I listened to his episode. Yeah. You know, and it's like, sure, I was like the that main face, but like you have to, in assembling the team, think about like how to have a rounded team. Yeah. Right. So I couldn't talk baseball. Yeah. I still can't. <laughs> I, my my niece is like, who's your favorite Cubs player? This was just like two a week ago, two weeks ago. Who plays on the Cubs? Andre Dawson. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and she's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, I just don't know. I'm like, I, I know like Ryan Sandberg, I like, played for the Cubs. Mark Grace. Ernie Banks, like, <laughs> you know. But like Jason um, yeah. is, is the kind of bartender um, that is great for almost any type of place. Like he's a ninja. Yeah. Um, talk about a lot of topics. Can, yeah. I mean, he's just great. He's in what incredibly well read on just like a number of topics yeah. daily. Right. So he's just like great as a bartender like that. Um, and could talk in, about a lot of things I couldn't, um, I probably wanted to geek out and talk about like music and skating and, you know, hip hop and yeah. tattoos. Um, all right. So how does, I guess, so Deville, its trajectory obviously comes to an end. How did you feel about that? Like, what was, you know? Uh, I mean, I was pretty beat up. Yeah. Um, but we ended on such a high note, right? I mean, that place just continued to evolve. 
right. so you were there till the end yeah and, and what was what caused the end was it just the, the a building, crazy offer on the building i think or? the building just needed a bunch of work mm-hmm. um the way I see it, I mean, if you just kind of look at the timeline of Heisler growing, mm-hmm. um, like we're just this really steady performing cash only business. Um, and it doesn't seem like, you know, money had been reinvested into the building mm-hmm. so much as like growing the company. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Which I mean, whatever, dude, like grow mm-hmm. the company. So, yeah. um, if I kind of look back on like the way I see that company evolving, that's just it to me. And Um, I think even looking back on it now, like I think Damon Tavern or Bardeville rather would have had to like the, if it stayed through the pandemic, uh, it probably would have shaken things up enough for that bar to like make a switch. But ultimately I think that Damon Tavern is a better fit for that neighborhood than than Bardeville was at the end of it. Yeah, it seems like it was just pruned so that other things could grow within the company. Yeah. Makes sense. And if we were, like, just a transitory bar for, like, what the neighborhood ultimately is getting. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's, I was just there the other day. I had a great time sitting on Damon Avenue, you know. Um, The women that run that bar are fantastic people, and I enjoy it when I go. Um, It's just a better fit. Yeah. Yeah. what happened to that chartreuse neon? It's at my house. Nice. Brad yeah. got it. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Um, all right, so since DeVille, you know, you've kind of left the industry, left being behind the bar. and you On, a, on the daily. Yeah, yeah, on the daily. And, you know, you transitioned into the new role working for Mihanta. Tell us about that. Uh, well, like, do you miss being behind bars? Are you I, relieved to not have to clock in, clock out? I'm, I'm relieved to not have to stand on my feet, yep. um, all day, busy or slow. Yeah. Um, that's nice. Just getting older. Um, it always in the back of my mind seemed like a pretty natural uh, transition. Yeah. Right. And you see all your friends do it and. I don't know. The money was so good bartending too. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a hard shit. Do I make that switch where it's like just the salary and you're like, benefits are cool, but like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Uh, I was, I was making good money at 26. Yeah. And a lot of cash. Yeah. And I reported all of it and paid my taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that, do you think that that's a sustainable thing? Like you said, talk about the natural progression is to move to maybe a, a brand ambassadorship. Is it, do you think that is bartending a young man's game? And you, do you think that people have 10 good years in them? Or do you think that it could be sustained? Because, like, I went to a show at Salt Shed last week and I was standing for like a couple hours. I'm like, my hip hurts. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I like to go to a show where I can sit. I like Chicago theater because of that. And I like, I, it's just got to be so hard on your body, the hours and stuff. Like, do you think that that, does, 
is it sustainable for longer than a, that? Like, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but I think the problem is that we don't take care of ourselves. Yeah. I take care of myself. I stretch. I work <laughs> out. I eat right. I mean, I'm trying to do that now, but yeah. I mean, in in my bartending prime, like. Yeah, you were not taking care of yourself. Twenty three. I mean, I was a fast ass bartender. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, let's call it twenty five to thirty five. Um. Yeah, I mean, really, because after thirty five, whatever, it's downhill from there. But, um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I look back on like how I feel now after starting to take care of myself mm-hmm. um, versus how would I have felt then? Yeah. If I just like cared a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that did anything, right? So I, I, I don't think that it's just a young person's game. I yeah. think it's like anyone and you can sustain it and do it, but you have to be mindful of taking care of yourself the whole time. And it doesn't matter what your job is, right? Yeah. Do you think that having that carefree attitude where you are living a little bit wilder, do you think that that contributes to the success of a bar, having somebody at the helm who is kind of embodies that? You know, Matt yeah, talks, facilitating the party. Yeah, Matt talked about like a GM like, ha, is like kind of setting the vibe for the space. Do you think that that – I think there might be something there. There is, most certainly. And I think the drinking tones down – naturally um as we all age anyway so yeah for me for sure but mostly driven by like i don't want a hangover or like i don't want to waste half a day on the couch on a sunday you know i like i like getting up early and it's just that and probably the advent of legal weed has made it has made that switch i think a lot of people have switched to just smoking weed to get to get a nice buzz or whatever but yeah i mean after after like 30 i was like man i just i don't bounce back like i used to yeah I mean, in your kind of health journey, did the diagnosis like fast forward, you know, did it accelerate your desire to be healthy? I quit drinking, would have been seven months before I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Um, I mean, that was just kind of like, I, I can say like DeVille closing, like it beat me up a lot. Like back to your, your question, mm-hmm. right? It, I, I felt the feel so hard on that one. I mean, yeah. I didn't drive my car to and from that place for the entire week. Right. I didn't trust myself at any point in the day to really be driving. Um, and that was that, and, but it was mostly celebratory. Um, yeah. but I mean, I would, I, I was pretty beat up. That was my baby. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, I felt very proud at the end of it. Yeah. And I felt yeah, really it good about run. it. You know, the love and Played support that you, you get. Someone brought uh, a funeral arrangement, like flowers, uh, <laughs> to the closing night. It was beautiful. And I imagine those things cost a couple hundred dollars. I don't yeah, know how yeah. much they cost. <laughs> I've never bought one. But, like, it, there was just an outpouring of love. And yeah, it felt really cool. good to, like, feel good about it. Um, but with Neon, it was just vastly different. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was a year, touch after year of opening um this is neon wilderness for yeah. the listeners but yeah neon wilderness uh wicker park uh in chicago um you know touch after a year uh pandemic hits 
and then we're just like straight up not working. We're a tavern. Yeah. There's like nothing we can do. Yeah. Um, and then the first wave of it, like kind of coming back, I was like, screw that. This is the dumbest thing we could be doing right now. Um, it's only a matter of time. We're going to close again. Didn't mm-hmm. do it. I think we lasted like three weeks. City's like, no, we're done again. All right, idiots. Yeah. Um, and then it was just like this back and forth. I never really had a job, you know. Um, like waiting on neon. Yeah, and and like we we thought the real estate surrounding it was going to develop quicker, um, mm-hmm. and obviously the pandemic just like halted halted everything. It just full stop. Yeah. Um, I, I just kind of watched everything around or you see the pockets that were like business was picking up. People yeah. were just like gravitating toward that and that only because the herd mentality mm-hmm. of going out, right? Yep. Division Street. You literally walk right around Polina to Bangers and Lace and that whole stretch of division be like fucking packed. Mm-hmm. You're like This is wild. Like we're not getting anyone just around the corner. Mm. And so... It was tough. There was a lot of days I'd walk in one customer. Yeah, brutal. And it took a mental toll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I felt terrible closing that bar, right? And, you know, I don't want to sit here today and, like, fully blame the pandemic, right? It was really easy for me to do that at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think, like, a lot of things were botched right i think we can all agree Um, what would you do differently if you could do it all over again i would have asked for help yeah and i think that pride again or do you think that you just didn't think at the time didn't have any money yeah you know like the idea of like hiring more staff as a way to bring more business on or bring more business in just didn't seem like it would work not at that location does that work in theory? It, yeah, it can. You know, like Depending me standing behind the bar yeah. all the time, like just having one other person that gets 10 people in could shift the whole night yeah. from when one person walks in. Yeah, they see that there's people. There's and like, is that like an employee who has friends? Like a yeah, the bartender that with following yeah, yeah. or with regulars? Mm-hmm. Someone completely different with a different social circle than me. And yeah. that comes down to like how you hire. Like, yeah, for sure. right. You don't want redundancies. I never yeah. thought of it like that. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, so like Jason and I were like good together at DeVille because we could talk about different things. But we had a lot of the same social circles, but we had very different ones too. Yeah. You know, so you get to think about everything. Um, And I I just couldn't really justify it. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. And like how long am I going to keep someone when they don't make money? Right, Mm -hmm. and that's tough. Does that ever come up in like an interview when you're looking to hire a new bartender that people like... Yeah, probably. I, I roll twenty I deep. Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, no, that's that'd be hard to suss out in an interview. But it, but you might. Yeah, but get if it like does a, make a difference, like yeah, I think you kind of try and have people come in. But there's like a whole other side of like Brad. Let's say hires enough people, gives them a chance, they come, and the following like isn't immediate or it's mellow. Then they, you know, say it's like not a great place to work or the money's not good, and so then like mm. that kind of the pool that Brad would be hiring from is kind of tainted at this point. It kind of like 
it's like you have to be busy to sustain busyness. If you have a reputation that you're not busy, then you're not going to attract like top talent. And now that the job market for us in hospitality is so small anyway, like you yeah. really need to have a reputation just to get people to work. That's to me, that's fascinating. It's like the so nuances tough. of like staffing a bar. It's very hard. It's, <laughs> I don't have to think about that crap anymore. It's <laughs> yeah, so right. awesome. Yeah. 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 No offense, Danny. Really. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, and I think too, um, you know, people don't think about, you, you know, they drop a Google review or yeah. a Yelp review, and how like impactful For sure, that review yeah. can be on someone's um, soul. Yeah. Drop right? a review on this podcast if you're feeling so inclined. Yeah. We are accepting <laughs> positive reviews. Get saucy, please. Like we we want it, but. Hell hath no fury like a scorned podcast listener. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 tough because there's so many little things um, that have to be paid attention to um, in hospitality that people don't consider, you know. And mm-hmm. it really it, it, so much goes into it yeah. that I know personally. Like I was, I reacted so terribly to it. I couldn't handle it anymore i mean not not on top of like people at their worst behavior too mm -hmm. right that was the what i saw in the pandemic was like everyone's a fucking asshole yeah yeah the entire world had an excuse for bad behavior (laughs) yeah at the time and it really brought out it brought a a lot of beautiful things a lot of good things but yeah everyone had the same stressor which is like unique to a pandemic situation yeah. everyone was having brutal could focus on something really bad happening yeah and i won't even talk about the political climate at the time oh, <laughs> no, please i won't i won't it keeps um, getting more interesting though yeah this sure is does. Fun. hey danny yes tim question of the bronca varieties is that all right it's totally cool with me. They are one of our sponsors after all. Terrific. Okay. The sponsor is Bronca International. That is the company. Yes. Fernet. So what's Fernet then? Fernet is the style of Amaro that they originated in 1845. Okay. So that style, Fernet, is basically a mentholated, punchier, so it's like higher proof and it's a mintier version of Amaro. Okay. I get that. It's a minty punch. Yep. And it has since spawned many imitators. Got it. And those also go by the name Fernet, but they're not Fernet. Bronca. Right. Bronca is the name of the distillery, Fratelli Bronca. So it's Fernet Bronca. I got it. That's all. Okay. Can we get back to the show now? Yes, sir. Care to wet your whistle before we... Ambush you sure. with the hard-hitting questions. Sure, let's go. Hospitality's finest. That's right. <laughs> All right, Brad, what is your death row meal? First time foods come up in this conversation, death which is rare meal. for the pod. So I am going to die. Yep. Yeah. The okay. last thing you're <laughs> yes. taking down. And this is assuming your smell and taste are intact. Okay. Yep. Assuming my smell and taste are intact. Um. It would be a pizza, just all carbs. Yeah, okay. All carbs. What kind of pizza? Uh, I'd probably have to go with a thin crust 
uh, sausage from Lumal Nadi's, a deep dish uh, from Lumal Nadi's with pepperoni and fresh garlic. Okay. Uh, I like also, that combo. Also a deep dish from Pequod's oh. with pepperoni and fresh garlic. Mm. Um, I'd probably ask my mother to make me uh, the yellow cake with chocolate frosting. That was always my favorite that her mom made. Oh, so um, good. Is that a birthday cake? Yeah. My that was like, mom the, makes that I know too. that. Yeah, cake. that, that, that yellow tasty. cake chocolate so frosting. Good. Perfect and, texture. It's the best. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's like. Yeah. It's a great one. If any restaurant put that on their menu, <laughs> I would just be like, yeah, yeah, just give it to charge me $20 for a yeah. slice. I'm, yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> have you, um, either of you guys been to the uh, original Pequod's in Morton Grove? No, I have not. I haven't either. Yeah, we should check that out. We need to, yeah. Yeah. Um, Probably a dope bottle of champagne. I mean, I would drink for yeah. sure. Like, yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> like, if I'm gonna die anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like a dope bottle of champagne. Um, a nice bottle of Italian red. Um, something like earthy, not too fruity, a little dirty, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sounds pretty great. Fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> um, I know what you're getting put down for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that and a whole bunch of edibles, <laughs> some fun mushrooms. I don't know. Yeah, like make quite, it a, make it a fun time. Quite an array. Is there a fun mushroom? Guaranteed fun? I don't know. I think it's all about setting. Well, I just don't know. Yeah, no, I don't think like, I don't from I lack think, from lack of experience. No, I think it's you're rolling the dice every time. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we'll I take it from you, Tim. I don't. I mean, I don't know. This, you do what daily? Uh, by daily, <laughs> <laughs> by daily, uh, macro doses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. What is uh? What do you think is the most underrated cocktail bar or a underrated cocktail bar that you think is doing a great job that maybe hasn't reached the recognition that it deserves? It yet? could be anywhere too. Any city. It's a really good question that I don't know if I have a then we'll make any good, good answer for. Yeah, yeah, um, I can that. tell you, like on a local level, just some like newer spots because like I just didn't get out much in the pandemic. Um, at the time, it was a lot of like account visits with um, my girlfriend at the time and like going to her her places, um, which were a lot of great places. But um, now that I'm kind of getting out more on my own with this new role. Um, metal arc yeah yeah was really super impressed and and not just with like the cocktails like i will i i can take a sip for balance but that's sort of where it stops right right it, everything else is lost on me mm -hmm. um so i just don't but uh everything about it seems so thoughtful yeah and intentional um the menu is just absolutely gorgeous it's the prettiest menu it is right i've seen it, I mean, it like I just love everything about it, and it's so accessible and casual. And I think, kind of back to what we were talking about with like Deville, you know, I, the goal of that place was to swing the pendulum so hard to the other side of the cocktails, right? That it was like so different than the Violet Hour. Like mm -hmm. by the time we started doing cocktails, we're like, all right, we'll do cocktails, but we'll throw we'll throw a party, we'll do all these shenanigans, yeah. and you know, it's like gonna be its own thing. Um, but it took that and now I think Metal Arc just kind of nails it right. like perfectly in the middle. Mm -hmm. 
it's a pretty perfect when it, but it leans it more toward good. violet hour right? yeah for, for sure. sure but it's like another violet hour alum yeah, yeah. you yeah. know I, i've 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 just walked in and had a great time like off the street it's not like a reservation right um so i love that um the alderman too um, I've been there a few times now. So I haven't been to the Alderman, yeah. have you? Nope. We got to check it out. If you want to go, please um, All right, cool. let me know. I'd be happy to take you. All right. Cool. Um, I think I've been there three times now. Nice. Um, once I went with, or I went solo all three times, but I ran into Fatima. Oh, okay. Um, nice. She happened to be at Pilsen Yards. And so um, it's like, okay, cool. We'll go together next. Yeah, let's do it. Next door, if you call it. Um, yeah. But then I've just sat by myself a couple times too and like, Lance just takes such good care of you. You know, it's it's a great experience. So, like, I think those are the two that I've been to uh, most recently that are just, like, bars. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad we asked. Yeah. yeah. All right. Favorite dive bar? Oh, I mean, d- does Delilah's count? Sure. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay. Then Delilah's. Good answer. And Rainbow would be a second. Yeah. And then the green. When was the last time you went to Rainbow? Uh, I think last year. I went, I mean, that was like my spot, $2 PBRs in my 20s. And then I went like maybe a few years ago, probably maybe is it like after things started opening up again, so maybe recently. And I was just like, man, I feel old here. And I'll, mostly like what I found surprising was like, the, I'm like, this is a small room. <laughs> what time did you go? uh i don't know probably early but i remember like i don't know it's kind of the place where you'd go late where you got a nice buzz going or whatever and sit at the bar but like then to go like kind of sober maybe i I think it it was like the first place we went and i was like man there's like uh weird art on the walls and it just it seemed very different to me yeah Yeah, seeing it through the lens of maybe you had changed it was a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, I mean, the that, lens of surviving. That's the fun part, too. And yeah. that's, like, what yeah. I'm finding in sobriety. Um, How different things are. So many things, Yeah. excuse me, are brand new again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The experience, or I can just even say, like, damn, when's the last time I went to Thanksgiving without working Black Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, like, having drinks before the holiday. Yeah. Like late into the wee hours, you know? So, like, I was hungover for Thanksgiving for years and years and years that and years. That was definitely a theme in my, like, early 20s, like, being hungover at Thanksgiving. And I was just like, that's a bad feeling. Right? <laughs> yeah. Why is that such a party? Is it because people have come home and you're, like, reconnecting yeah, I think you're with tolerating, friends? Like, bringing everyone together. It's like... Well, they, I'm not talking about, like, anxiety. the stress of their relatives. I'm talking about, like, I think it's because, yeah, like... Because in college you come yeah, home and it's, like, the first yeah. time you see your friends. Yeah, it's, like, summer. And you want to, yeah, Definitely. tie one on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. Delilah's right. in Rainbow. Okay. <laughs> um, that, was, that used to be, like... It was uh, Inner Town, Rainbow, and Happy Village. Is any? Do you guys know if anything's happening with Happy Village? No idea. I drove by a couple of days ago. It was very shut down. I mean, they've been they've been very shut down for yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that whole the group that had that with yeah, with it. who knows what happened yeah. to the group. Yeah. But and Inner Town's back up and running. Anyway, uh, yeah, I did see that. Favorite hidden gem restaurant? Gibson's in Oak Brook. Okay. Ah, Oak Brook Gibson's. Yeah. Some suburban um, love. Right. I, I, to me, it's great because you can, I hate shopping downtown, right? I, I never want to do it. From here, it takes you, what, 30 minutes? Yeah. 
you can like drive to the suburbs and shop have easily. all the free parking have yeah. all the same stores as yeah yeah state street yep and michigan and you're like most of it at least um Without at least I'm, I'm not shopping at Louis Vuitton, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, I just love it out there. Cause you can, I also don't like go to Gibson's downtown here a lot right? for the same reason. I don't parking, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, but that was always my kind of place that I, I still love going. Good one. All right. Here's a low hanging fruit. What's your favorite fast food? Uh, I can't tell you the last time I had fast food. <laughs> Tim was hoping, would, yeah. hoping for a Culver's. Yeah, I really, I really felt. Uh, um, Porto- I guess Portillo's counts. Portillo's is great. Yeah, yeah. that's a good right. one. Right. I don't. I guess I don't think of that as fast food. Like, but I will say I've been dying to go to McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, but I specifically want to go to the one like on Randolph. Uh, oh, is that the one that hamburger? Has, like, you? Yeah, the one yeah. that international items. Yeah, because yeah. like I've never been to that one. I if have. you're if you're gonna go to McDonald's, that in theory should be the best Big Mac in the world, right? Yeah, he I'm gonna tell you one something on right now because I live he thinks smack Ogden dab is the in between one. that one and the one on Ogden and Ashland. And the Ogden and Ashland one's the one to go to. Is it? Yeah. But you can't get the international be, yeah. menu items there. But he, but to Brad's point, yeah, in, it in should theory, be the, the one on that should be the best one in the world ever. That because that is corporate headquarters, right? That Big Mac. You know in what? Theory, should. We should do a Big Mac taste test. Yeah, we should. We should pick some of the. <laughs> That'd be wild if they we'll do the one by Danny's that. house because you like that one, right? Yeah, I like the two by my house. Let's well, we'll do it. Yeah. Do you? Should the three of we'll us do, a, do this? Yeah, we'll yeah, do a blind yeah. taste We can test. commit to it now. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Once this gets on the internet. You don't have to eat the whole thing, Danny. <laughs> this is our idea this. first. Yeah. <laughs> right? This is the That's McDonald's Big Mac Chicago's. challenge against McDonald's. I think, yeah. I think it's safe to say that if we find the best Big Mac in Chicago, that is the best Big Mac in the world. Because it's a local company. Yeah. Agree? It's, yeah, it's headquarters here. Okay. Agree. All right. I'm in. All right, let's do it. And then we'll go to Alderman. Yep. Okay. What's your favorite cocktail? Is it the hard sell? But I, you know. That is a good drink. It's probably your most famous drink. It is. And I I will say very few people are fortunate uh, to have a cocktail to be, like, remembered by. Yeah. um, Or have, like, a cocktail that's synonymous with your name. Yeah, it's very cool. Right. Do you want to give the recipe on pod? Oh, sure. Um, It's it's an ounce of Beefeater um, London Dry Gin, an ounce of St. Germain. I upped it to an ounce of Jepson's Malort. Oh, not three um, quarters anymore. Yeah, and that was kind of like, at this point, let's call it a fat three quarter. Right. Um, it was just when CH took it, it was like, it felt like there was a little sugar added to it. Oh, like the Malort changed. Yeah, like the Malort changed. Um, and so I bumped it to an ounce, but the original one, one, three quarter Malort and three quarter fresh lemon um, shaken and strained up into a coupe and then just grapefruit oil expressed over the top of it so it tastes like you're biting directly into an into a grapefruit skin pith uh flesh everything um and it's a cool drink but it's cool but not your favorite not my cocktail. favorite no What's i think my favorite? favorite to to probably enjoy would be a last word okay but i also don't drink cocktails really yeah well yeah, um, so, yeah. and to like time and place experience right mm-hmm. i gun to my head right now i'm like i don't have a favorite cocktail 
gun to my head on the beach, margarita. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's a good point. Pina colada. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, good point. I don't know, a hot day, I'd be like, give me, give me a Budweiser right now. Right? <laughs> yingling or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. I, too, like a yingling. Yep. Agreed. You can, you can get them in Chicago, can't you? Yeah, I think so. No. Indiana. Indiana, I think. Indiana oh, has yeah. them. Yeah. Hmm. You drive, I thought I found them in the city minutes. years ago. Anyway, I, I like that beer when I, when I can get it. All right. What unexpected trivia category would you dominate? You'd probably have to do something with sneakers. Yeah like just looking going like which year did this retro come like do i get i mean i get to hold or it's trivia though you don't really get to hold the sneaker yeah but you could see it yeah yeah i mean something <laughs> do was, any bars do sneaker trivia <laughs> not that i know of because i mean the actual sport of it like yeah i remember going to games as a kid but stats and shit like that yeah, yeah. so hard uh to what do you attribute your success uh desire to learn I think that education is paramount um, in everything, right? I, I saw the most growth and success when I uh, had a desire to learn. And that's all I was chasing. Um, it was a desire to educate myself, try as many new things as I could, um, be kind, right? Um, at a certain point where the education kind of fell off is where, like, Maybe I wasn't as successful, right? I just maybe uh, relied a bit too heavily on, like, past performance. And maybe that showed through. Hmm. You know, I, w I would venture to say, like, yeah, I, the, the lens in which I put together the menu for Neon was very different than DeVille. Like, with DeVille, I really wanted to impress. Yeah. You know, like, and I threw the menu out, like, the next day. Because our friends and family was so bonkers busy that I was like, we can't fucking do this. What was I thinking? This eight, 16 or 18 cocktail menu? Like, yeah, with a lot of touches. Like, oh my God, we, we can't do this. But with Neon, it was, uh, okay, all these years of experience. This is what I see. This is what sells. And you look at these different metrics and you're yeah. like, okay, I have to have like this vodka drink that like does this, it does this thing. And like, d does it though? Do, do customers see straight through that bullshit? Yeah. Do my bartender friends... Like, that it's too calculated, you're saying. Did, like, did my bartender friends see straight through that bullshit? And, like, that bar wasn't, like, maybe as cool or as impressive to them? Hmm. You know? So, I don't know. I think that, like, I was most successful when I wanted to learn more. And yeah. I wanted to show people that I was learning. Um. And learning in a way that led to me more creativity. Um, yeah. Not learning for the sake of showing that I can tell you what sells best on a menu. Yeah. Right? That, that, that I guess when you craft different. a menu, is it is it finding that balance of, of being creative and showing off, but also having some staples that you know are going to sell? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. for us, yeah, I mean, at Scoffle, there's, like there's like a structure to it. But in that structure allows for wild cards that don't fit any type of cocktail mold um so you know the team is like quite creative and they're always like pushing it and the structure is pretty loose it's like you know three to four gin drinks and then pretty much that's it yeah. like you know i mean there's like nowadays you have to have like agave cocktails on there 
you know, with agave being more popular than whiskey, but still generally is like an agave drink of some sort, probably shaken, a whiskey drink of some sort, probably shaken or stirred, you know, I don't know. There's just slots, I guess. Yeah. Like Abe described at Violet Hour that the assignments for when they were submitting cocktails. So after your time, it would be like a couple descriptors like wacky and sherry. And you might like get that assignment and that's what you had to do. And everyone would be handed like different assignments. We don't do it quite like that, but there is like a structure to the menu. I don't even know what the question was. was (laughs) The question was like, no, it was like menu theory. What, like, what what do you have to include or when you're creating a menu? Yeah. It depends on the place. True. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause like your Scott is a gin bar, right? Like at Moonlight, we're going to have a vodka drink on draft at feather. There's going to be drinks like rooted in seventies classics and kind of retro. Yeah. It really just depends. Yeah. I think, I don't know what I maybe enjoyed too is just that it was the wild west at the time yeah true yeah so right you were one of few cocktail bars yeah, i mean fuck. yeah they were the first we got like to do major whatever, whatever we wanted we could do right and like maybe get judged harshly but like also we got to brush everything off all right what is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you i get that everyone the qr codes are easier um i miss paper menus a lot i wish we could go back to that yeah um and I, it, it sort of annoys me in, not everywhere, I get where it's like more cost effective to like, I, I did it with Neon, it just made more sense, mm-hmm. right? but it was just a bar. Um, it just sort of annoys me when like uh, a certain price point is involved and like it's on a QR. Uh, where it, it was one of those things where, um, I mean, but I, I just understand that the, the way that it's going, and I understand it's, it's certainly less wasteful, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I love saving menus, yeah, yeah, uh, from special moments, um, or like a special event. You know, I mean, I, I thought the Bordell menu was so cool that they just put out, um, and Mihent is on it, so like. I was like, can I, can I take one? And I like, yeah. cause I want to frame it. It's a really cool menu. Um, but you never know what might happen and like what that menu might mean to someone that's dining with you. Yeah. Um, for them to take that home. Yeah. I've Maybe they, they, barrel house menu. Yeah. They saved up for that dinner. Cause we're, and I'm talking about like expensive dinners. Yeah. It's a hundred dollars a person like is a lot. Right. You know, for, for most people. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I miss the paper menus. I wish they'd come back. I think Shaw's has a great paper menu. I give Shaw's a lot of shout-outs on giant. here. But I was there last week, and it's just so nice to hold that gigantic menu. It's a floppy menu. It's, yeah. It's, it's, I was glad when, when they brought that back. Anyway. Yeah. Urge, can we just bring back one for the table? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just one. Here just like, just to reference. Now you all have to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Laminated to whatever. Yeah. Maybe keep one off to the side if I want to take one home. Yeah, that's yeah. right. All right. And then our last question. What is the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? And I'll include bars in that. The hospitality scene. Uh, I mean, the people, right, has to be the obvious answer. Um, without it, it's kind of 
doesn't exist. Um, Do you mean? I mean, like everybody. Do you mean the owner operators, the servers, the whole the whole ecosystem, the the whole thing? Yeah, you know, the whole ecosystem, Um, the 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 entire fabric of it all, Um, because they're all woven together, right? I mean, I would see the same uh, cooks come into Violet Hour that worked at Alinea um, that came into Bardaville. And, you know, they wanted to be around the cocktails too, but like they'll all go to the same dive bars too. Yeah. We're all have more in common um, across all levels of hospitality and we're all kind of there together um, and support one another. And it's amazing to see that with social media too. Um, how you have these incredibly like lowbrow places and incredibly highbrow places and everyone's hanging out together and trying mm-hmm. to like boost each other's career yeah. or like, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the people, um, that is interesting how, you know, a high end restaurant, a dive bar, everything in between can, can appeal to the same group. There's like a, that that is interesting. I've, that's something I, I've thought about, but haven't really articulated or talked about. Is is like what that appeal is, because there's something about these places where the same group of people, generally industry people, are drawn to it. And it's you can't. It's not a price point. It's not an aesthetic. It's not a cu- specific cuisine. There's just something about these places. I think that's what we're all always looking for. Is those places that make us feel that way. Yeah, I know that. Uh, uh like talking to John Douglas, um, yeah. one of the things he thought was the success or one of the successes of Bardaville um, and to Neon, you know, he referenced in the same comment, but um, was that when the restaurants were getting off work, right? The restaurant staff was about to try and decide where are we going to go for, for drinks after work? Um, you always had to kind of look at who made the less money made the least amount of money, right? That that was your deciding factor. So when the cook was like, well, I, I, I've got money for like a handful of Ham's beers. Not that like anyone would not buy him drinks or right. her mm-hmm. drinks, but like... But you got to look out for that person. You know, yeah. and so what Bardaville provided was like, cool, it's just got like the, the $3 beer and we can do cocktails. So right. if someone wants to just hang out and just drink 10 beers, Cool. And they'll spend 30 bucks. Right. And if I want to drink like five cocktails, like I'm the one that's going to spend like 60 bucks. Not right. Good. Yeah. Um, I was definitely I was... the guy doing 10 beers at DeVille mm-hmm. at the time. 10, $10 <laughs> beers. How many did you pay yeah. for though? No, yeah. I, I, I think I'd, like, I'd did always charge you yeah. for it. I'd yeah. start with a cocktail and then it was beers Go after to beer that. town. Yeah. Okay. One treat and then. Yeah. All right, right. sweet. Yeah, that was our last question. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brad. Thanks Thanks for for making the journey in the rain. Heck yeah. And that concludes our conversation with Brad Bolt. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to drop us a review. We are accepting positive reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And every other, what are the other? Yeah, Amazon something, Google Podcasts. Who's listening to that? <laughs> anyway, this episode was produced by Matt Haddock. 
music by Captain Cuts, and real and video work done by the one and only Joe Guzzo. And don't forget to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod. For what, Danny? Weekly unique content like cocktail <laughs> recipes, reels, all sorts of shenanigans. We've got some of the uniquest content in town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unique New York. Absolutely. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>